Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the I Want to Be a Producer podcast, sponsored by Flying Penguin Graphics, audio production by Kieran Nemont. And here's your host, Curtis Brown. Hello, folks, and welcome to I Want to Be a Producer, the podcast for emerging producers and creatives wanting to know how it all begins and how to get where they're going. I'm your host, Curtis Brown, and of course, I am joined all the way down in South Africa. I have no idea why I said that, but here he is, our audio engineer, Kieran Nemont. Kieran. Hello, sir. How's it going? Good, man. How are you? Fantastic. Fantastic. Had a great weekend. Yeah, well, if your Instagram is any clue of that, you looked like you had a new bri. Is that, did I say that right? Uh, yeah. Okay, how would you say it? <laughs> That's right, Bri. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I know, but what's the N O U U before? Oh no! Oh, that's what you're saying. <laughs> oh, no, so I'm clearly saying it way I wrong. You're saying new. No, yeah, it's n- the word is no, as in like it's it, uh, it's Afrikaans for now. Like we're gonna do it. It's like ons gaan no drink, ons gaan no Bri. Means like we're gonna do it now. Telling you when something's gonna happen. <laughs> and here I am being that's like it's a new like word. Yeah. New, and I'm like, what are you? A new? Well, I was like, it's not new. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such an idiot. I have literally no idea what I'm saying. And I literally just knew that you put it on new. I just know that you put it on your Instagram. That's so funny. So t- tell everyone what a, what a, what, what is it? A no bri? New no. Bri? Like, let's no, a no bri. Like no. So a no bri. So tell everyone what the no bri was. <laughs> are, we, am I, are we using this? <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah, we are. Uh, it's basically just a glorified barbecue, if you will. Um, South African style lasts a couple of hours, involves a lot of drinking and partying, and if you're lucky, you'll eat. Wow, most well, time, I mean, <laughs> it's a barbecue. I'd hope everyone's eating, unless everyone's Yeah, most like... of the time, you're just drinking, and then everyone just falls over. Yeah, that's no, good. It's a great, and great it, South African pastime. It sounds good. I mean, see, I, I, I was thinking, I was like, well, I guess because, like, some people don't like their, like, burgers char-grilled, or, like, some people don't like their, like, meat or their toast to be, like, extremely black, like, burnt. I love yeah. that. If, yeah. if, if there's, like, a black piece of toast, I'm like, give it to me. I want it. <laughs> like, I love that. But apparently it's not good for you. Like, eating burnt stuff like that is horrible for you. Well, I don't know. Don't come say that here. People like cooking on... on- on uh, coals and, and flames here, so... Oh, right, right. You know? Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, see, here I am <laughs> thinking this... I, I'm, like, making this barbecue seem like a hellhole, but it's actually, no. like, a good time. No, it's, it's not like that at all. Okay, so we should probably get to the guest. So our <laughs> guest today, yes, we've got two of them. They're, it's it's a super good episode. I really, really enjoyed this one. They're, they're two really interesting guys that have just had such a unique journey in opening this theater, which is now just so successful, and, like, have shows on the off-west end, and... You know, they, I mean, hopefully we'll have one on the, on the West End uh, coming up. And I think that they will. Um, I told them that. I was like, don't put your mortgage on it. But I did think that. But uh, yeah, so I don't think there's much to say about them. I, I'm excited for you guys all to hear it. So Kieran, take it away. Our guests today are award-winning theater producers based in Manchester, England. One of our guests is a graduate of Lane Theater Arts, and the other is a graduate of Mountview. How did they meet? When they both were cast in the all-male production of Pirates of Panzance at the Union Theater in 2012. After years of working in London, they moved to Manchester and ended up opening one of the most successful venues for music theater in the UK. That theater is the Hope Mill Theater. The venue brings new and exciting theater to audiences of Manchester with a focus on in-house quality music theater. Some of those musical productions include Rags, Parade, Hair the Musical, the UK premiere of Yank, the European premiere of Little Women, Spring Awakening, Pippin, Aspects of Love, and so many others that my laptop would literally die if I could name them all. They're producing a production of The Wiz premiering this Christmas alongside season one guest Amina Hamid. We're in the stage 100's most influential people in theater in the performing arts industry in 2020 and won a hospital club award for their contribution to theater and performance 
performance, which they thought came from the NHS. Welcome to the I Want to Be a Producer podcast, William Welton and Joe Houston. Hello. Hello. That was lovely. Yeah, it was. You've done some research. I sure sure have. I've had you all over my screen. Actually, you're the background of my computer. I'm not going to lie. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, It's so great to to have you both on here. Seriously, the work that you guys have been doing, it's it's stuff I've noticed for years now. And it's not just because I have the podcast now. It's, it's, It's something that I've been recognizing. And I'm so happy that I get to now finally meet you both. Oh, that's kind of you. Yeah, thank, thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Yes, absolutely. So you both were performers, uh, as I said, both met uh, during Pirates of Penzance. And then you decided to move out of London to Manchester. So how did you both get into to the producing side of the business? I mean, that it kind of just happened organically in a way. We were both, um, yeah, jobbing actors in London and we both trained at the same time, but different institutions, as you mentioned. And it probably started with, I ended up having to take like a year out from acting and and singing and and the stuff that we used to do Uh, because I had some uh, vocal injuries and had to have a couple of operations and it sort of just made me have to rethink what it was that I loved about the industry and the reasons that I was doing it because I think it just takes something like that to happen and then you question how vulnerable you can be as an actor Um, and that for me was something that basically took me back to my main passion which was theatre and then I sort of found this new love of the desire to create opportunities and to sort of be, I guess, on the other side of the table, as it were. So um, Joe equally had kind of a bad year um, for other reasons, just lack of opportunities and auditions. And so we sort of toyed around with the idea of moving to Manchester, but that kind of came after we dabbled at producing our very first family pantomime, actually, it was. And I know pantomime is a very British thing, but it's essentially you know, Christmas entertainment, you know, dames and it's old school really. But we did that in the sort of home county that I was from originally. And I think that, and no experience at all in producing, no sort of business experience. We just literally learned from our mistakes and sort of thought we could. And and luckily we we actually could do it. Um, And that probably sparked the passion of employing you know, fellow actors and and creatives. And it's sort of that passion for creating an opportunity and sort of watching something come to life on a massive scale and knowing that you were just a part of that and you were the reason it happened became the sort of the thing I think that was missing for me um, when I was treading the boards. But yeah, do you have anything to add? Yeah, no, totally. I think actually you hit the nail on the head. I think actually we, because we at that time in our careers weren't, getting much opportunity I think it 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 was very fulfilling to give other uh, performers that opportunity to be part of something and we just sort of it was stressful and it was crazy and you know but we sort of like enjoyed the thrill of it and and you know the you know seeing those audiences especially with the panto because it's family audiences and a lot of time it's it's children's first taste of theater uh, over here in the UK and certainly was mine and just seeing like families coming and children just totally in awe and you know getting that feeling of you were doing something really great um by inspiring you know a uh, future uh, generation of theater goers and lovers and that really just, yeah, like you say, that sparked a sort of it lit a fire in there where we were like, okay, like if we weren't continuing to perform, this could be something that we could still be in the industry, but but just go down a different sort of avenue. 
Yeah, and you're still creating opportunity for yourself too, right? You're creating yourself your own job and you're signing your own checks now, which is also a really nice thing to do as well. And also those pantomimes. I was in one I was in one in Welland Garden City and my God, those oh, yeah. like those eight o'clock shows, man, with those kids, it's like <laughs> something else. And then you're doing another one at four thirty in the afternoon, and that's your third one of the day. Those things are exhausting. They're super oh, fun yeah. though. They are those, tons of those, fun though. Those schedules upon I certainly wouldn't go back and want to do it i don't think i would have it in me anymore but oh. yeah i admire people that can can still do it i know it's so true i know i think back to like when it's pantomime season and you see all these tweets and all these instagrams and people are like half asleep or they're they're taking like <laughs> drinking those goddamn lozenges like they're like candy man those things i know yeah so totally. I know. Actually, I wanted to ask this. I didn't write it down, but because you guys are both performers, I always, I always wonder this as as a performer myself as well as a producer. How was the transition for the both of you? Like to go, kind of going. I've trained for this. I did it for this long, but now it's time to step away. Was that a harder transition? Was that an easier transition? It, maybe it's different for the both of you. I think it probably was at the time different for the both of us. I think certainly by the time that you know Hope Mill Theatre the idea of that was born because we certainly didn't move to Manchester with the idea of opening a, a theatre. We sort of moved here and and started, you know, reaching out to theatre makers and producers and other theatres and essentially just started to be like, you know, what's Manchester missing? We sort of loved the vibe here. It felt like there was opportunity to be had. Mm-hmm. And it, I guess when we started that, I knew for me, I was never going to go back to performing again. I was just trying to find the right path for me. Um, but I managed to drag Joe up to Manchester to sort of, you know, to at least call it home. I think we were just, we were done with London at that point and we were ready to maybe get on the property ladder and, you know, those sorts of decisions, but none of those happened. We instead opened a theatre, but for Joe, it was always going to be, he was maybe going to take like a sabbatical year, like mm-hmm. take a year out, get the theatre established and then go back to performing. Yeah, and I sent I sent my email an agent saying, hey, my, well, at the time, fiancé, my fiancé and I are moving back to Manchester. We're thinking of opening a theatre. I'm going to give it a little bit of time. So, you know, just give me maybe like six months to sort of like set it up. And then like... <laughs> Uh, like two years later, I like bumped into him at a, a press night and he was like, oh, how's that six months going that you said you were? Because I just got, we just opened the theater and then got into it. And before we knew it, it was like taking over our lives. And and I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to come back to it now. And he's like, no, you know, like fair play. And of course, by that point, we were employing some of his clients in our shows. And, you know, so, but yeah, like you say, it sort of, I sort of thought, oh, well, let's go and see what happens. And I can always go back to performing, but... I mean, never say never, probably, for for you, maybe. Oh, God, no. <laughs> I mean, it would have to be, have to be a, a lot... It would have to be a lot of money now for not a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> I love that answer. Also, I, when you were saying about your agent, I was like, man, you're probably employing his clients. So it ended up working out for him in the end anyway, right? So he ends, up getting, he ends up getting some money anyway. So I know you've had some UK premieres come through the Hope Mill with Yank, etc. But at the start, were you choosing musicals or shows like pantos that you knew you could draw in a crowd that you could almost guarantee fill the house so that you could recoup your investment was that a strategy no that really wasn't a strategy at all like i think when we i mean the first sort of the majority of the the shows that you list um early on we partnered um early on with ari entertainment so katie lipson um, who was also manchester based and we co-produced the first 13 musicals with her um 
And one of them, of course, was Parade. And essentially we reached out to her when we were painting the venue and trying to get it open and sort of said, you know, we've heard you from Manchester originally and we both worked for her as performers and sort of said, you know, we want to produce musicals. What do you think? And we had that chat and over a bottle of wine where we were sort of, you know, suggesting titles and Parade came up, um, which was our very first musical that we produced and that we produced that within six months of even being in the building. Um, And it was very much, I think, within the first four months of actually being operational as a a theatre. And our sort of passion really was those musicals that aren't done as often as they probably should be. And those musicals that were Manchester premieres or certainly wouldn't necessarily have been on the sort of commercial touring market. We wanted to bring something a bit different, but I mean, in Manchester, no one had ever heard of the musical parade necessarily. It certainly wasn't a commercial hit and we were a brand new venue that no one had ever heard of. And right. so we, we took a risk actually. And fortunately it paid off because I think the quality of the show and word of mouth and, you know, we didn't really have any money to even market the, the production at that time. So we relied heavily on word of mouth and the fact that it was such a, a, probably a great title for us opening in this sort of great listed former cotton mill. It kind of just totally worked hand in hand. And I think that was the beauty of Manchester because although Will is, you know, originally from up here, I, I, you know, I had never even been in Manchester. So we came up here and there was like, there was so much more room for, you know, um, staging these musicals that maybe had been in London or off, off West End scene, but were, were still new and fresh to Manchester because you know, like Will says, uh, the number one touring venues uh, here were getting the big commercial tours, but though there wasn't really a scene up here for sort of small scale independent musical theatre. So the, the sort of list of shows became quite exciting and endless that, you know, to bring to Manchester audiences. And that's sort of where we started off from. So rather than bringing those shows that were going to be seen in the large houses on tour, UK uh, tours, or, you know, or your typical sort of Singing in the Rains or Oklahoma's, we, we then all of a sudden could bring those more really niche musicals mm-hmm. that maybe had had London uh, lives, but not necessarily Manchester. And, you know, a prime example of that was Parade and audiences hadn't really seen it and uh, in Manchester or even heard of it and fell in love with it, you know, and, and, and we brought it to a whole new audience up here. And actually, I know, Joseph, you did an interview with uh, Men, which is the Manchester Evening News, and your Twitter just started blowing up, which triggered multiple other outlets like The Stage, etc., to write articles about the Hope Mill. So, and I know you mentioned that word of mouth and like stuff like that was such a big role in, in you guys getting known. So how important is press and media for a company that's just starting out to gain a following like that? Oh, absolutely! For us, it was it was everything. And um, you know, we 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 didn't have any money in place to be able to ho- open Hope Mill and then market the the venue. You know, there wasn't like a budget to go. Okay, like this is what we're going to put towards. You know, and um, promoting the venue, and it very much was every every penny we had had to go towards the the venue and the infrastructure and getting the venue open so so for us those those um interviews and the editorial interviews that we did because you know like people were interested and excited these two guys come up from london and open up a theater and a a former uh, you know former cotton mill it's uh, you know there's a story there and and i think that that's what got us really helped us get the venue on the map because when we didn't have that and that financial 
um, um, you know, backing behind us. You know, so like you say, we did both. We did an, an interview with the MEN, which is the Manchester Evening News, which is the number one paper here. Um, you know, in a lovely full page spread. And then, of course, the industry got on it. So, you know, and everyone starts writing about the venue and, and then it's getting shared on social media. And before you know it, you know, that was before parades. So by that point, we were able to then, you know, when we announced parades, there was even more buzz about, oh, this venue that's just opened. And uh, yeah, I mean, so, like totally like so much value and and that and, and how it got us, uh, how it got us like going, really, that kind of reach that is, that doesn't cost us anything, but it's, it's, it's invaluable. Yeah, well, that's it. it. People are always so scared to send an email. And it's like, man, if you send one email, things, things it starts to roll very, very quickly. And, and the worst thing that can happen about the sending the email thing is they just don't respond. And, and I totally. always find that so weird that people don't do that more often. That's how I get in touch with you guys. That's how I can get in touch with all yeah. our guests. All I do is send an email and go, hey, I do this podcast. So do you want to come on it or not? Like, it's up to you. <laughs> like, I, I put it on a plate and I go, it's for you or it's it's not. And that's up to you for you to choose. Now, I know, Will, you did the stage one program and was paired up with Tom Syracusa. I don't know if I'm saying that name right. Uh, Syracusa, yeah. Yeah. Uh, of the Menier Chocolate Factory as a mentor. So I want to ask you guys, well, the both of you, but also Will as well. So how important were mentors played in your journey? How important were they for the both of you? I mean, they were, they really were, to be honest. Like, I think when we first, interestingly, we sort of never had a mentor to sort of tell us how you open a venue and how you make it work financially. But we did have mentors in the sort of producing side of things. So when right. I did the stage one course and got the bursary, that was because of our second London transfer of Hair the Musical, which went to the vaults um, under Waterloo Station for 16 weeks. So I managed to get the bursary and did the stage one course. And that was just like eye-opening. Until that point, I just made up producing as I went along, learning by my own mistakes. So it was so interesting to hear on a commercial level how it works, budgets, um, raising money, all this sort of thing. And we were starting to transfer shows and having to actually raise investment and how that works. So it was invaluable, that course. And again, having Tom as a mentor, I mean, it was incredible. And the Menia was one of those venues that we aspired to be. We were inspired by the success of a found space, a, a space that was not built to be a theatre and how it made its mark and, you know, the colour purple and that transferred to Broadway and the success of that venue. So it was so interesting to speak to that venue. And at that time, we were a very similar model in terms of um, we were a limited company and they relied on their hospitality. And that's what we were very much doing at that point. So it was very, very valuable. And again, Katie being an established producer, when we first started producing, it was so valuable to have a co-producer that had experience producing in that off West End uh, fringe style, you know, capacity. So we were able to, you know, run the second we did parade and the success of that, we were able to then go hair, yank, little women, Pippin, and it just sort of was able to, you know, completely take off from that point. I think without that, it would have taken us maybe a little bit longer to start producing on the scale that we became sort of known for very quickly. So mm -hmm. absolutely, in you know, the industry support and, and it's still happening now. I mean, less sort of mentorships, you know, in, in that sort of structure, but we've got so many sort of friends in the industry that are on incredible levels nowadays that we're able just to pick up the phone to and ask them questions. And, yeah. and again, it's like not too long ago, we transitioned the whole 
um, organization from a for-profit company, because mainly we never made profit, but into a a not-for-profit, like a charitable organization. And that was such a complex, it took about a year and a half to do that. And we knew it was the right thing for the organization and for us and for the, the future of the organization. But we reached out to so many venues that were following that sort of structure or followed mm. a very similar path that were independent and then became sort of charitable Charity. institutions. And we've relied heavily on that, just reaching out and not being sort of too proud to ask for help and ask advice. It's, it's been very beneficial for us over the years. Yeah, I think I think everyone's willing to help too. And I think people feel flattered to help too, I think as well. People like to be asked to like their advice and people want their opinions known and how they got to where they were too. I think people enjoy that. So yeah, I agree. Like just reaching out to happen and help and, and not being too proud to ask for help, I think is the big, big thing there too. So I know I, I didn't actually... I didn't actually ask you guys this to tell how you guys started the Hope Mill, but I know I know it it, it ended up being like it was on Gumtree and it was this it was this cotton mill and you guys didn't have any money, so you both went to the bank for five grand each for five thousand pounds each, and you ended up getting it before you said yes to the venue before you even did that. I'm pretty sure. Am I not? Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So what I want to know. So fast forward from the start when you just had that 10k to where you are now, which you just said a, a charity, which is uh, the Factory of Creativity, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. What yeah. is the advantage of turning the Hope Mill into a charity company? Yeah, I mean, again, it, was, it wasn't it was a decision we necessarily took lightly, but certainly within the first three years of operating, we realized that either we were going to burn out and that was going to be the end of it because no one else would ever put in 100-hour weeks for no money, wow, um, yeah. or we were going to bec- get into a financial position where we could no longer you know, financially float the company. So that was kind of a big thing for us. And we started to look at similar scale venues and and most of them, I mean, I would say 95% of it, like theatre venues in this country, um, especially regionally, are always charities. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the main thing is it's so difficult to make things work financially, especially regionally. And I think we were really passionate about outreach, giving back to our community and we were always, it was always so tight. Every budget was tight and we were actors. So we've always paid everybody a fair wage, actors, creatives. We've wanted to do it the right way from day one. And that just meant that producing with 120 seats is virtually impossible or your break even is over a hundred percent and you're losing money on every show. So when we started to realize that was how we wanted to continue and we wanted to pay even more and we wanted to do a lot more sort of giving back to our community we knew they, there was only one sort of way to go. So that's when we started to reach out to other venues and say, you know, and I read that you originally started independently and moved to a charity. Why was that? And it was always the same reasons, opening yourself up to more funding opportunities and financial support. Um, also becoming more on our local Manchester City Council's radar. If you're right. a charity and not-for-profit, you become something that a venue or an organisation that they will support going forward in the culture sector of the city. And we also knew that we were, and we still are, we're in a building that is very much going to have a time limit on it. It's an independent um, business building owned by private landlords. So although we've, you know, we've been there for six years and, and we know we're going to be there for the the sort of the near future, mm-hmm. it's not sort of the 30-year plan. We want the organization to outlive us. That's the dream now, is that I think once you make something a grassroots venture a success 
the biggest fear is losing it. And I think that's one of the other reasons why we made it a, a not-for-profit because we needed the organisation to grow and scale and um, employ, employ more people, give more opportunities. Mm-hmm. And that was the only way really we could do it, make it work. So you and Joe uh, are both partners, or business partners, but you're also romantic partners. If you need a wedding venue or a reception, I know a Hope Mill Theater does that as well. <laughs> um, so do you have any advice for any couples who are thinking of venturing into business together? Yeah, don't do it. No, just... <laughs> <laughs> no do, you know, do you know what? Um, it has, it's, every day is a school day and it's, it's not easy. Um, and... Um, We've learned so much, you know, we've been doing it now five and a half years and we've learned so much about ourselves, about us as a couple, about, you know, in the early days, it it was so muddied the line between personal life and work life because our personal life was our work life. It just, you know, because we were making, we were putting so much time and energy into the, you know, to to set that whole mill theatre. So, you know, and 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 I actually I don't think it could have been any other way. I just think it's just the kind of people we are, and we wanted it to be a success, so we just were willing to plow everything into it. Um, but yeah, you you know you you it's 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 tough, and we've had the ups and the downs, and but certainly you know I think that the past year, you know, with sort of with the pandemic and and actually being forced to stop a little bit and take stock, I think that we realised that actually we're I don't think we could have we couldn't have done what we've done if we weren't a couple mm-hmm. you know if we weren't that sort of that you know that sort of power couple and, and we sort of like even when it's tough we're in it together and no one's flying solo and 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 I think that that sort of we 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 appreciate that and we appreciate each other because of that um and you know when 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 one of us falters and it's too much and the other one has to pick it up and you know that you sort of just work like a tag team and yeah, you know, like I just, I, we're lucky because we also get to, as well as face the tough times together, which it's, you know, it's hard. We also get to share the successes together, you know, that we're both there, you know, on a press night, we're both there on awards night and we're there together. Like, yeah, we've done this together. And yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so wonderful, though. Like, to be able to, like, I think what you said there at the end, it's like, yeah, it's it's fucking hard sometimes, man. But also, like, when you're standing together in that suit and you guys have that bottle of Prosecco in your hand, like, you know what I mean, each, and you're standing there and you look at each other and you go, look what we did together. How nice is that? Like, you know what I mean? I think yeah. that's a super special thing. I, I've, I've acted with a significant other on stage before. And let me tell you, when you go back to the bedroom and you're still like talking about those moments on stage, it's like, <laughs> it's Even something. <laughs> yeah, exa- oh, it is. It is that though. It is that where you're just sitting there and it's like, you know, you know, I think I need more in this section here. <laughs> and it's, and it's, and it's that look, you know, that look that you get. So it's just this whole thing. Okay. So I want to play a game uh, with the both of you guys. And uh, it's called Radio Play, where we get to know you two, the people, rather than you two, the producer. Sound good? Yeah. Sounds great. All right. Well, this is Radio Play. What time do you wake up in the morning? Half eight, 8.30. I would say eight for me. Okay. Uh, favorite song? Ooh, I would say Dolly Parton, nine to five. Ooh. I Joe? would say Elvis Presley, Teddy Bear. Current favorite Netflix show. Ooh. I would say. Ooh, 
I would say American Horror Story, but I've seen them all, but American Horror Story. Okay. I am going to say, oh, oh, it's so hard. I feel like I've just spent the last year watching everything on Netflix and there was so much I loved. Anything like... What was the thing you'd re-watch if you could? Oh, that's a good one. That's actually the better question. Yeah, anything, anything true... Oh, like making a murderer, like anything true crime. If I could watch all that again, I love it. Okay, that's you know I still have to watch that actually. Everyone oh tells God, me so to watch it. So yeah, good. everyone tells me this, and I need to watch it. Okay, guilty pleasure, eating a lot. Oh, red wine. <laughs> <laughs> Do you believe in love at first sight? No, no. <laughs> You're both are like, no, we hated each other. It took um, it took like three years. I thought, I thought it took it, a, it took a tour to Australia, right? <laughs> Oh yeah, okay. yeah, the right. End of yeah. Australia, Sydney. Oh, they, it needed S- Sydney <laughs> <laughs> at the Opera House, right? Okay. Yeah. What are you scared of? Oh, God. Um, anything happening to my dogs? That's oh, good. That's cute. Um, uh, <laughs> I should probably say that, but I don't think it's mine. Um, what am I scared of? You can uh, see my list. Dogs, just yeah. <laughs> I'm scared of like financial ruin. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't. Yeah, no, I'm I'm scared of that. I've got the fear of like um, getting getting like getting to to a point in my life and feeling like I've not lived properly. I don't know what that is. You no, know, like that's a, that's like, like a legacy thing almost, right? Yeah, you know, that's like, like FOMO. It's the fear of missing yeah, out. Yeah. 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 Not, no, not I get living. that. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> no, it's true. I like that. I, I like that. I like that a lot. What does a person need to be happy? That's oh, a good question. Like love from friends and family. Yeah. Family. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, do ghosts exist? Yes. Yes. Do aliens exist? Yes. Yes. Ooh, you're not. Are you, are you, I did a face because I was like, "Do I think they exist?" And then I was like, "No, actually, I think they do. I think there's something out there." You find a million dollars in a backpack. Do you keep it or return it? Keep it. A hundred percent, keep it. <laughs> okay. Kieran I'll give some to charity though. To, yeah. To, to, you know, like make my conscience feel better. Yeah. See, that's what Kieran and I were talking about recently. I said, you know, I'd probably take like ten grand and then return the rest. I mean, like ten grand, sort of a million, right? <laughs> just, just something, but it's a moral thing. I couldn't do it. Okay. How many windows are in New York City? Oh. oh, wow, that's an amazing... How many windows? Individual windows. Yeah. Oh, my God. I would say one... No. I'd say 28 million. I'd say 2 billion. Be able to fly or be invisible? Be able to fly. I mean, that was my go-to, but then I sort of questioned it. Like, actually, people would be like, yo, you can fly. What's going on? Whereas invisible, no one would know your power. So I, th- I would say invisible. Ooh, I like that. I like that both of those answers. Okay, the most famous person you've met? Oh, Celine Dion. The Canadian Queen. Yes. Yeah, of course. Oh, I don't know. I don't even know who you've met that's famous. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> I've met a lot of famous people, but I'm trying to think the most famous oh, of them all. That must be nice. Um, Kate Blanchett. Oh yeah! Oh, <laughs> you're like oh that time. Okay. Oh that uh, famous. Yeah, we that that, that we're actually yeah, right. in a pool. <laughs> you're in a pool. 
Yeah, when we went to Australia with the Pirates of Penzance, she uh, she invited us to her house. For a swim and a sausage. No, she did not. Yeah. Oh my God, she did. We got pictures. <laughs> it was the yeah. most amazing day. She's the loveliest person. She's lovely. That's unbelievable. You're just like chilling in Cape Blanchard. Oh my God, who knew? Who knew? Just an average Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> just sipping in it, right? Okay. Commission someone living or dead to create a piece of art for you. Who would it be? That's a really good question. I think I would have to say Dolly Parton, because she's a living icon and Mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with her. She's like my secret passion, not secret passion, but my passion in life, to be honest. (laughs) So I would say her. What, who would you say? I say someone to commission a piece of art. I mean, I, again, I'm like a massive Elvis Presley fan. So, mm. like, I probably would like get him to like write a musical or something. Did you say yeah. living or dead? You yeah, said living, living or dead. dead. Oh, yeah. Be living right. or dead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's radio play. So, I know during COVID, you guys continued to rent, but at 50% capacity, which is only 70 seats per performance, which meant that the production would have had a deficit of around 100,000 pounds, which made it completely unviable. So, you guys offered a new online viewing of the show, which was Rent, that has allowed your loss... that is allowed to take your lost capacity and offer it as a digital ticket and helping you guys make up lost income, right? So you streamed rent online. So is there a rights thing that you have to deal with that? Like when you're streaming on like a musical? So what's that process like? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it was one of those things when we were thinking about rent last year because we'd already cast the show and we had all the creatives and we'd done all the pre-production planning. When we sort of really got into the sort of the, the nitty gritty of like lockdown one, we were very much just like, oh, we really want to make this happen. We really wanted to sort of do whatever we possibly could to make it and um, be able to go ahead. And one of the things that we um, did was basically, it was just like a case of ticking boxes and problem solving. And then when we realized that venues over the summer here in the UK were allowed to start reopening outdoors and at reduced capacities, we started to think, how can we make this work with a, a you know, a huge financial loss in terms of capacity? Because as I mentioned before, it's like every seat is crucial on this scale. You know, we can't really afford, you know, most shows break even in the 90% region, if not above. So it was a case of just reaching out to the rights holders and saying, we really want to make this happen. We feel like Rent in particular is one of those shows that if we can try and make it work, it felt right to do it in a world pandemic. It's sort mm-hmm. of almost struggling artists it just felt like it was the right time um so we went to the rights holders and the the streaming rights weren't available so we managed to negotiate a very sort of rare deal with them where we could stream to our lost capacity only in the uk only Um, and that's what we did and actually it was one of those moments where when we got the go-ahead for that we were like okay the next step how are we going to make it work in terms of COVID safety and testing and and this was I think at that time we were probably the biggest show that had been created in this country that hadn't already been on stage before at that point so we were rehearsing for four weeks in a COVID world in a COVID secure production so it was challenging because it was a case of having to keep a cast of 12 creatives, a band, keep everybody safe. And and fortunately we managed it. We managed to solve every single problem that was being, you know, sent our way. And 
I mean, sadly, the show only did uh, five live performances to the public before we were closed again. But the actual process, because everyone being totally on board and with a, a sort of shared goal of the show must go on, was really an amazing, amazing opportunity. And it was a great environment, actually, from start to finish. Yeah, and we had that, thankfully, you know, when we were forced to close, we did have that you know, online option to fall back on, which just totally was, you know, a lifesaver for us because, you know, we had invested in that point, you know, in the show and, and the, the set and the full set up and it was a, you know, full scale production. So it was just amazing that it wasn't all in vain and that we got to still share it with audiences. As producers, what is your career's biggest challenge today? Um, There's been so many. Yeah, there have been um, so many. <laughs> which one? Um, yeah. I mean, I would probably say that, I mean, funnily enough, we just announced The Wiz, as as we mentioned. And mm. um, and it was a show that we actually had secured uh, pre-Black Lives Matter movement last summer um, and, and all the protests around the world that followed. And I think we knew that it was a very special title and we wanted to bring it to Manchester. Again, I, I don't think... It may have been once many, many years ago. And it felt like the right show and also the right kind of show that we wanted to celebrate a completely pro-Black production. Um, And I think it was only when sort of early planning of that show and the Black Lives Matter that we actually realised that we had something very special and, and an opportunity to carve more opportunity within our industry. Um, and that's essentially what we we made that. And like you mentioned, we've we've teamed up with um, Amina Hamid Productions and to make sure that the show has the right voice from the top all the way down. And we're absolutely building this show the way it should be built as a pro-Black production, creatives, producers, and um, obviously casting. And it's something that's sort of become this real passion for us as a venue that we feel like this show means a lot more well, it means so much to the Black community, but also it means a lot now for us as a venue because it's very much making us move forward in the way that we want to as a venue, creating opportunities and, you know, making sure that we're putting that talent on and off stage. Um, And it's something that we're very passionate about. And that's kind of just come organically as we've um, progressed. And it was one of those shows that we've been doing so much in the sort of pre-planning and, and marketing and getting the design and working with Amina and Choo Choo as well, our assistant producer, to get the show right. And it felt like a real, I would say that's the challenge, is it almost feels so important that every single decision that's made as a production is well thought out and we feel the gravity of what we're doing, how important it is. And I think that's probably the hardest thing that we've had to face because it's so important. And I would say that to me is one of the things that I want to learn from and grow as an organization moving forward that shows and things, I mean, I've always believed this, but I feel like this is a a classic example of that is what we do, putting shows on and and bringing in audiences. We have the power to make change in our industry. And I think The Wiz is a a prime example and probably one of the most important show we've ever produced so far. And I'm sort of excited for it, but I'm also wary that it's that important that we have to make sure we get it right. And we're certainly trying our best to do that. Absolutely. Joe? 
Yeah, um, I I think um, I think the big the next thing for us is like you know Hope Mill's been going for five and a half years now, and we've we've really you know we've worked hard to to create a a great reputation, and we have transferred shows, and and I just feel like next, and we've got these great relationships with really exciting people in the industry, and I just think the next thing for us and the the challenge is is sort of now taking that to the next level always. Mm-hmm. You know, we're ambitious and we're always looking for how we can, you know, get Hope Mill Theatre out there more. And, and, you know, we want to create the next Rent. We want to create the next, you know, um, Hamilton. We want to, you know, we want to be a, a home for really exciting new work. And I think that it's just, you know, I think the biggest challenge is that, that, that we face is that because, we we are out of London and we are a smaller regional venue that it's just making sure that we're making the right noise and that we get sort of the next level of, of the journey is, is, is sort of, you know, is exciting and the right step. And like you say, like, I, I, I want us to have a show on the West End. You know, that is like, that is, that is, really feels like the next move for Hope Mel mm-hmm. is, and, and I think that it's just making... And then obviously Broadway. And then the world. Well, and, then, and I think that obviously, you know, I just think it's, <laughs> It's making sure that, you know, people like understand that we're that ambitious um, and that we, we want to make that happen. And I'm sure we will. Um, but, you know, it's it's hard because you we are you're, you're still a small fish in a big pond, although, mm. you know, we aspire to be the big fish. I know, I know, I know, I know what you mean. And listen, I, I, I truly believe I mean, if this production is anything like that cover art. It is going to be phenomenal. It <laughs> oh, looks lovely. Thank beautiful, you. the green, everything about it. It just looks pr- proper. It looks like it's done. I, I tr- I'm telling you, I truly believe, book it now. I, I, I think that show's going to either the, it's going to definitely go off West End. It's just a matter of whether, I think it's definitely going to go to the West End. It's just a matter of, it's just so. a matter of time. I, oh, no, no, I no, pray no. it's our first West End transfer. Oh, no, <laughs> yeah. I think, trust me, it, I, I think this is the one for you guys. Seriously, Joe, Will, I can't thank you enough uh, for coming on the show today, sharing your words of wisdom. Thank you for creating the Hope Mill Theatre. Thank you for all that you do for everyone in the the theatre community in the UK and in Manchester. You two are legit stars, and I'm so happy uh, you guys could make some time to come on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's felt like a lovely chat. Good, perfect. That's what we like. Okay, so we'll speak to you soon. Great. Bye. This has been a Brown Stuff production.